0: Hey everybody, this is Laura and Rochelle from Hawara MP.
1: And you're listening to the podcast for and about nurse practitioners in Aotearoa, New Zealand.
0: Hi, hey, this is Laura. And I'm Rochelle, and we are Hawara NP.
1: And this is episode four, the primary care nurse practitioner.
0: So Laura, how do you feel after releasing our first three episodes?
1: Very excited. It's been quite an experience getting all the feedback. How are you feeling?
0: Yeah, I'm feeling really the same as you, excited about what the future whole of Hawara NP will be for our listeners. And really excited and quite blown away by the feedback that we've got as well from like what's coming in via Instagram and on the NPNZ page on Facebook as well as LinkedIn it's just been awesome
1: most definitely it's very exciting for our future episodes getting a few people interviewed and just having to think about what we're going to do going
0: forward agree. And it's kind of brought on a lot of ideas around people wanting to join our podcast, hasn't it? Like big guests on it.
1: Yeah, lots of great ideas people have brought forward. So this episode, we're going to be discussing um, something that both of us are very familiar with, which
0: is the primary care nurse practitioner. So I looked at the WHO definition of primary care and it says... Primary care is a model of care that supports first contact, accessible, continuous, comprehensive and coordinated person-focused care aims to optimize population health and reduce disparities and inequities across the population. Would you kind of agree with that is what well? primary care is for you Laura?
1: In a nutshell, yes. So, obviously there's going to be a lot more to it than just that. There's a there's the lived experience of primary care is obviously more than that, but I think if you're breaking it down to essentially what it is and what we're offering then yes it's the often the first port of call for most patients. And
0: we talked a little bit about this in our first episode but I don't know about you Laura when I was a registered nurse my colleagues would often ask me what I actually did in primary care there was kind of no understanding of what healthcare was outside of the hospital setting.
1: Yeah a lot of people think it's essentially a bit of health promotion mm-hmm. they're like you're before the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff you're the people that stop them from getting there but we can all agree and primary care that doesn't cover even part of what we do. I mm,
0: agree. And I remember particularly on one many occasion as a nurse going out and was with nursing colleagues and I made a reference about writing patient notes. And one of my nurse friends looked at me and she was like, what do you have to write notes for? If only she knows. <laughs> <laughs> so well, tell me a little bit about what primary care is for our listeners. Hey, I obviously know, but a lot of our listeners won't or may not know. Primary care, well,
1: for me, it's about having like a really big understanding of the whole aspects that influence the health of the patient is definitely a lot of patient contact. Of course, there's always going to be things like you mentioned, like the paperwork. It's just looking at everything from a whole, looking at things like healthy habits, the things that might be creating issues with their health. It can range from a baby one minute who's just been born and you're doing a general check right through the lifespan.
0: Mm, agree, I looked at a US piece of literature and it talked about what primary care and the role of NP looks like within primary care. So this is quite a mouthful and I'll have to find, if anyone's really interested, I'll have to find the piece out. I think it was quite recent as well. It was kind of within the last five years, I think, maybe going back 10. So bear with me. NPs, advanced autonomous providers who diagnose, treat and manage acute and chronic diseases while emphasizing health promotion and disease prevention. NP practice includes but is not limited to assessing patients, ordering, performing, and interpreting diagnostic and laboratory tests, making diagnoses, initiating and managing treatment, including prescribing medication and non pharmacological treatments, coordinating care, counselling, and educating patients in whanau and communities. And NPs coordinate with healthcare professionals to manage patient health needs. So it quite <laughs> quite how many sentences was that? quite a lot I felt like I couldn't breathe lots of
1: sentences
0: (laughs) but I guess that that's kind of in a nutshell what we do and explains the breadth of primary care
1: I mean in a nice academic sense yes yes, it (laughs) definitely does but I think great preamble is to the primary care nurse and MP obviously it doesn't give the feeling that we have in terms of connection to our patients because that to me is a huge part of it as well every day is kind of a journey Mm. in terms of who you're seeing and the different kind of journey that you go on with each and every person
0: and it doesn't nearly identify the diversity of the role as you alluded to the age demographic and well the widest demographic that you serve in primary care to hey and the complexity of patient morbidities, essentially. Yeah, as well. e-
1: exactly. So I mean, often we'll get patients coming to us who are in good health, who are going to be starting on a journey of fertility, That's or right. maybe then we get a patient, you know, so there's there's, there's such a range of, of things that we see. And, and it's not all disease and illness. Mm. And yes, there is prevention in there too. But people are often seeing us also at very positive times in their life too. So too, yeah. we essentially are guiding people through their 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 life journey essentially
0: Mm. and you'll often hear this term won't you like across the lifespan in primary care especially when it talks around NP practice and where our specialty is primary care across the lifespan exactly I certainly don't apply that reference to myself and my practice, but it certainly sums up what primary care is. But you'll often see nurse practitioners in primary care, they do specialise, say they specialise in child health or women's health. Yeah, exactly. chronic disease like diabetes and cardiac disease. So you'll often see kind of a range of nurse practitioners and how they work in primary care.
1: Yeah. So the primary care model that both you and I are kind of following at the moment is not necessarily the same for everybody. So it can be interpreted very differently in terms of the role as well.
0: And so Laura tell me a little bit about what the primary care model or not if we kind of put aside what it is for patients what is it like as a business? Okay.
1: I suppose a lot of people are unaware of the fact that primary care in New Zealand is run as a a tandem model almost. So there is definitely the public funding part of it, but essentially are working within a business model as well. So there's the idea as well that there is income that needs to be brought into the practice. Mm -hmm. What are the way that looks? And that might vary based on where you're working Mm too. So for instance, Rochelle, I know that you're at a a low income practice, but... uh, Um, so that your funding model might look different to my practice, that might not be.
0: That's right. And for our listeners, that's called a very low cost access clinic. Clinics can opt in depending on some options that are available to them and some criteria that has to support that service for their clinic. But essentially, it does apply a a lower fee to patients coming in for their reviews.
1: Exactly. And obviously, there's other areas that we need to kind of consider in terms of income, like a patient that's coming in with, say, has had an accident Mm -hmm. and has hurt themselves Then we'll be looking at things like ACC. There's the patients that we're treating in the community, like those that are coming in under POAC, which is a scheme where we treat them in the community, essentially, even though there is a possibility that maybe they should be going to hospital as well. So it's utilising different funding methods too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously like immunisations play a part in that revenue as well and what's prioritised and led in our healthcare model.
1: Yeah, essentially we need, even though it's not what we like to think in, in healthcare but there is income that needs to be generated in order for us to work in the area. That's always mm-hmm. going to be a consideration within the business model.
0: That's true. And we have talked about this ourselves, but there are also some small and or larger practice comparatively, hey, like so some are very small and may only have like a couple of thousand patients and whereas some are very large and go up to 10 plus.
1: Well, exactly. And definitely the the model of care is going to vary based on that as well. So if your income is is less, then there's going to be things like premises that you need to look at that you might not be able to get like as big a premises, but you wouldn't need that, for instance, because you've got less patients. Mm. And also about terms of where you're you're practicing out of, like some places it might be a big business building, whereas others it's a smaller building.
0: Yeah, that's true. So some can, you know, have different provisions such as kind of like a pharmacy might be attached and They might have a laboratory attached as well, yeah, or
1: X-ray. That's right,
0: and they may also have specialist services attached to their clinic as well. Some have family planning services. They are all going to vary. As a patient and a consumer yourself, you just you go where you see fit for you. But also, some people have no option, especially in rural areas.
1: Oh, exactly, exactly. That's a very good point, actually. So, you know, I suppose in the urban areas that we work, um, a lot of people can opt to because they want to or they like bigger practices to go to those bigger practices. Mm. But, um, and then some people might prefer the smaller, more family style practice you know seeing the medical person that they've seen or nurse practitioner that they've seen for a number of years the one they're familiar with that instead of having the choice of seeing different practitioners so
0: yeah and you know I take for granted this like just as we're having this conversation I think of myself being from Dargaville and how you just do have limited resources like Northland is a huge area that's got an under-resourced community essentially for the populations they have and for like pregnancy so you're wanting a hospital birth you have to get to Whangarei and that's like a 40 minute drive and we could argue that places in Auckland are a 40 minute drive. (laughs) (laughs) That's my work. (laughs) <laughs> but you know I think it's really important to remember that these conversations that Laura and I are having from an urban perspective but we're very aware of our colleagues in rural areas across the nation that don't have the same provisions that we do and just what that looks like as NPs listening what services can be accommodated for your patients we're definitely not naive yeah,
1: to that. exactly exactly so so services obviously that you're going to be providing might include more um, acutely unwell people that can't get to a hospital for instance yeah. so, so not saying that we don't see acutely unwell people because we most definitely do but our patients are more likely to seek secondary care initially when they know they're that unwell. Yeah
0: very good point Hey, like I don't know about you and your nursing but as a nurse I was never a midwife which historically going back there was registered nurses were trained in midwifery as well and you know there might be yeah. some NPs that are familiar with kind of that midwifery space and doing a lot of the antenatal cares and postnatal cares as well. I don't think any of our medical colleagues still support birth I think we might have one or two yeah, in Auckland yeah, I think,
1: now. yeah yeah,
0: um, yeah. you know if there are more out there on this podcast listening we'd love to have you on and discuss that with you as well but yeah we're definitely aware that that influences what your patients are receiving from you as an NP most definitely
1: so Rochelle what does your day look like as a primary care nurse practitioner
0: so I have two roles both are in primary care but one is non-clinical and the other is clinical so on my clinical day I would come into work we have a 15 to 30 minute huddle in the morning and then I start my consults at 9 30 and then the model that I provide for my patients is I have 20 minute appointments and I have about three or four of those back to back and then I have a half an hour break and then I have another four to five I think and then I have a lunch break and that's an hour for paperwork. Work and my lunch break and then I see six patient 20-minute uh, appointments again and then I have a half an hour break so that's paperwork time and my own break time and then another three I think patients on the end and then I finish up and I have a, a good 20 minutes paperwork at the end of the day before I finish at 4 30 and so I'm aware that I'm very privileged to be able to finish work at 4 30 and start it start consulting at 9 30 but at this stage of my life being a mother to a young child that, that that's kind of all I can give in that space and then if I work uh, Friday which I work every fortnight Friday clinical I do a slightly different model but the same 20 minute appointments with sufficient time for a break and paperwork and then in terms of what I see it varies sometimes I can be doing behavior assessments for concerned patients of you know their small preschool children mostly preschool children I think school-aged children are kind of caught within the education model but normally it's preschool children or I'll see um, like chronic conditions diabetes congestive heart failure COPD a lot of medicine reconciliation as well. So say a patient's been discharged from hospital and they need to come in from follow-up. And I've got a little bit of a mix of the day. So I've got like booked appointments on the day and then I've also got pre-booked appointments. So there's a mix of what's available. So some might be acute injuries coming through or they've woken up suddenly with a medium ailment that needs to be assessed acutely. So that's kind of my day in a nutshell. What about you, Laura? What is your day as a full-time clinical nurse practitioner? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm in clinic four days a week, which you know some might say is quite a lot. And my day starts at nine, which is great mm. for me, gives me time to drop the kids off before yeah. work. And it's um, really
0: important, I think, we talk about this, but it's the work-life balance in this role is Really important. You're not going to be any yeah. benefit to anybody if you're rushing everywhere. Accommodating your yeah. workday is important in the scheme of your longevity in primary care.
1: Definitely and I very much appreciate being able to do that every yep. morning. It's quite a nice part of my day seeing the children off of mm. school and then start at 9 o'clock and I have booked appointments my template essentially looks like three booked appointments and then a break How long are your appointments um, The booked appointments are 15 minutes and I get a 15 minute break so essentially it's 20 yep. minutes per person and that covers things like uh, getting the notes and hopefully depending yeah. on on how long I spend with each person which obviously can vary a yeah. lot like you the patients that I see are very similar so you know one minute I can be seeing a newborn um, and I might get longer for the six-week mm-hmm. check 30 minutes for instance for that the next person I'm seeing I'm dealing with a back injury mm-hmm. lots and lots yeah, of back yeah. injuries in primary times, yeah. care yeah exactly and then I might be seeing a patient who's a menopause that wants to talk about that so there's a whole range of different patients I see I make sure that I have a one-hour lunch mm-hmm. break and that helps me in terms of keeping a good balance to the day Sometimes I'll go for a walk during that time. I have morning tea break. We have a huddle every day. Mm -hmm. At the huddle, it's kind of a group team meeting where we sit with all our colleagues and talk about what the day is going to bring, any issues that might be coming up. So that's quite valuable as well. And I think that there are other places that also do huddles. It's it's definitely not unique to our practice. I think Um, what we used to
0: historically see is kind of more regular or weekly meetings. But those day-to-day catch-ups are really important. Like it could look like, you know, being informed that flu vaccines have arrived or we don't have any of this supplied and, you know, these patients might need to be rescheduled. It's kind of a forward planning, isn't it? So that you just get cohesive yeah. care for the patient.
1: Yeah, we need everyone on the same page in terms of what's happening. It's good to know from the other side, like is there an administration staff uh, member yeah. away and they're under the That's pump? Right. It's a great way of connecting all of the and smaller teams. Up. Yeah, agree. So I know that you mentioned you have time in your day for all of your paperwork. <laughs> I
0: laugh because my notes are so long. (laughs) and I do I I honestly don't attempt to make them that long but they just are and I just haven't found a way to improve it but also I don't want to compromise what I'm doing so yeah I definitely have a lot of paperwork time to (laughs) curate those notes but also yeah. I'm kind of prompting myself with different tasks recalls reminders whatever or kind of in that time doing inbox management yeah anything that kind of I've put on my to-do list and because I do only work that one day clinical I am care planning with the patients that I'm seeing so an in instance if I'm yeah. organizing a blood test I'm letting them know that I'm not actually going to see this until a week later what's my plan in the interim and if there is an abnormal result what, what's going to oh, happen yeah so that's that? That part. yeah so
1: yeah so the fact that you got so long between shifts can mean that maybe the next day you need someone else to catch. That's right. So I do have to kind of
0: make sure that my planning is Accommodating patient needs As well as my own As a health provider And covering all of those aspects as well And I think I won't be alone In that anyone else listening They'll see the same challenges And will practice similarly
1: And I mean essentially There's also the need For extra things too Like writing really good referrals Mm. To secondary care Or other health providers Takes a long time too You don't want to be staying For hours after work So that extra time Is is essential for doing that Did you negotiate the extra time In your role? Is that something you spoke about earlier? I did
0: so as an NP intern I did 30 minute appointments. 30 minute appointments is wonderful, but I don't think it's sustainable for me personally and, and the volume of patients that are needing to be seen as well. So I think, yeah, I negotiated 20 minute appointments and To be quite frank, Laura, I am always running late. I (laughs) am running about five minutes late. And if I have an admission, I'm running 15 minutes later. But I also give that time back to my patients as well. And I don't think that if you were to see me and you've waited five minutes, I think the care that you're receiving in the room reflects what I'm doing in those 20 minutes and why I often take longer as well. It's quite a challenge to listen, isn't it? And um, it takes time to be able to listen to our patients.
1: And also as well, when we're under the pump, you know, we want to still be giving everyone our full attention.
0: So what about you, Laura? Did you negotiate for your 20-minute appointment?
1: Yeah, I worked to it slowly. So like you, I had the 30 minutes initially. Mm-hmm. And I didn't all of a sudden say, oh, OK, I'm ready for the 20 minutes now. Let's go there. I actually moved it very slowly. So I started with the first thing in the mm-hmm. morning. So I knew that first thing in the morning I was becoming more efficient. It was more about being able to do my notes faster yeah. or being able to generate lab forms faster. It was about you know my own ability to do these things a little and bit quicker. And we talk a, so, about
0: our own clinical examinations that get more efficient. So our neuro exactly. exams suddenly go from 15 minutes to maybe like a good solid five minutes.
1: Exactly. The classic neuro exam. Yeah. Man, that, that can be a long one. You know, all of a sudden as you as you know them better and you can, you know, you've got your routine better, you can quickly do yeah. them better. So yeah, so obviously I started by taking all my morning appointments back to 20 minutes and then I slowly moved throughout the day. But actually I have kept the last part of my day only the last hour and a half as longer appointments, because that means I can catch up on some of the stuff I haven't managed to get to throughout the day. Or if I have been running late, then I've got that buffer as well. So that kind of relieves the overall feeling of stress that can occur when you're so busy.
0: And I think, like you say, it impacts the end of the day more positively. So you don't feel like you're rushing out of the door and things can be compromised because of that. So it gives, again, that work-life balance. It, It allows you to decompartmentalize at the end of the day and then go home to your family and what any other NP would be doing so it kind of offers that right I can finish at the end of the day this is me I'm done I'll pick this back up tomorrow just on a compared note all of our clinic um, has now gone to 20 minute appointment which I think is really supportive of a preventing burnout environment as well and I know that not every clinic can support it but it is really great to see that other people see those benefits as well because that's not a traditional general practice primary care kind of model it has been for a long time those 15 minute appointments hasn't it?
1: Yeah ever since I've been in primary care and I know way before I started in primary care it was always 15 minutes
0: but that's great
1: that your clinic now support mm. that and it's great for the staff obviously to be able to have that extra time to get what they need to get Mm -hmm. done but also for patients to have a full 20 minutes a good amount of time that the practitioner can spend listening to them and talking to them and going over things
0: very thoroughly because this feeds into our next bit a little bit Laura because it's quite common for patients not just to present for one thing in a primary care appointment so it's quite common for patients to bring maybe one two three things is probably the common number that you and I see but it can be up to four
1: yeah exactly so that they'll often come in it's the first thing they say they say look i've bought a shopping yeah. list today
0: how would you go about having conversations with patients around prioritizing time within an appointment to laura Yeah, well, what I do is is actually based off one of my medical colleagues gave
1: me some really good advice when I first started because I noticed it a lot. And I didn't feel like I could give each item the attention that it deserved. So I talked to them about how I could manage it. And they suggested that at the beginning of the consult, if that's something that comes up, you first say, okay, well, let's go through those now. Let's have a chat about each one, essentially negotiate with them as to what they think is the most important thing, the things that can be covered and then you talk about the fact that it all doesn't need to be covered in one day and that you want to give each part the attention that it deserves maybe they might need to come back for a follow-up but also as well taking into account that sometimes these things can run into each other so maybe they do have two or three complaints but two of them are linked yeah, like in terms of the and diagnosis yeah
0: running in together and it might be ideal to maybe ask the patient to see that list as well like eh? did these conversations required practice Laura did you just get better at them the more you did them because obviously we see this oh a lot.
1: yeah often they'd come in and, and they'd be like look okay I've got shopping list let's let's get on with this but I, I kind of learned very quickly that something that needs to happen with each consult is talking first off about what the expectations can be met realistically within the consult now it's just an automatic part of each consult for me there's a kind of preamble and a discussion it's an amongst like introductions etc on what each person can expect and
0: we talked a little bit about in our last episode what our hips suggested around these conversations that can cause some personal tension especially when we're trying to establish therapeutic relationships with patients we don't want to be compromising that at all and especially if you feel that this conversation is going to generate those tensions then it's ideal to maybe write down what you want to say read over it practice it have someone else look at it maybe a colleague as well I'm sure every listener nurse practitioner has another nurse practitioner that they might be in regular contact with and if they don't I would definitely suggest hopping onto NPNZ and finding one. (laughs) to do so (laughs) or maybe reaching out to Laura and I and since we're meeting so many maybe we can put you into contact with someone but yeah it would be quite good to kind of have someone read over those as well just to kind of give you the confidence to say it out loud
1: yes exactly so health in itself is quite complex often for most people it's not just the one thing that they're going through at the time often there are the influences too they've got their mental health aspects support systems so that sort of thing so it's definitely taking into account that it's not generally just dropping in, having your one appointment, and that's it. You're done with your health for a year. It is a process. And
0: that kind of brings us into a little bit of discussion around what our wider team in primary care looks like. So tell me a little bit about your exactly. clinic, Laura. Who do you have working with you in the clinic?
1: Okay. Well, I've had the privilege of working in a big clinic and a small clinic. Currently in a smaller clinic, we have a small nursing team of two, and we have an admin team of around two or three, depending on the day. And then we have the medical practitioner team and, and nurse practitioner team. And in total, there are four of us all together, mostly part time. So in terms of uh, your clinic, what does yours look like? So Michelle? we
0: have our administration staff. We have nursing colleagues and medical colleagues and myself, the only nurse practitioner. But we currently have an NP intern with us, which is fantastic. We also have a health improvement practitioner who is awesome. Great. And we also have a health coach who is just as awesome and we've also recently had a hearing technician come in and support our clinic every second Tuesday which I have the privilege of working with and they all play kind of a part in my day-to-day practice so I will often you know collaborate with my medical colleagues and I'll have some warm handovers to the health improvement practitioner and health coaches. And a warm handover is essentially me introducing the patient to the hip or the health coach. And then the same with the nursing colleagues. So if I have a patient that needs some additional support like immunizations or cervical smears or um, some diabetes support, my nurse colleagues can kindly support me during those consults.
1: Perfect. So your clinic that you're working at now is a larger clinic?
0: Yeah, I would say it's definitely not as large as previous clinic. It's got around six thousand patients enrolled so maybe about 10 or 12 on each day if that's a light day and maybe upwards of maybe 14. Yeah so moderate size clinic (laughs) then. But like I say, again, I'm aware of the privilege that we have in the urban setting. Absolutely. And here in Auckland as well.
1: So it sounds like you've got quite a good supportive team around you. And, you know, having a HIP, it must be very, very valuable in terms of giving a lot of education around diabetes, mental health, that sort of stuff. Stuff that essentially in the, the clinic that I'm at, we don't have access to because we don't have that service. So that must be great for your patients. And it, it's
0: quite, it means it's quite a challenge, isn't it, when you're uh, the provider alone and with the smaller team because our patients although they're coming in upwards of four issues that they want to discuss they still might be due for some tetanus booster and we talked about pertussis in the last podcast because there's a pertussis outbreak so you know they need a boosterx vaccine and or you know flu vaccines as well or cervical screening needs to be done so it does presents more challenges within that coordination of care definitely and you know there are a lot of
1: tasks within the practice beyond just the direct care of the Mm. patient that need to be done day to day so the uh, registered nurses within the practice for instance they're having other things like recalls they're dealing with phone Mm. stuff that sort of thing all day so they're not always able to you know help with diabetes Mm. or or do these things so it it is a bit more kind of negotiating with the patient to come Mm. back it's providing a bit more online support handouts and and some times it does literally mean spending a lot of time, say, with a newly diagnosed diabetes patient. You don't want to be sending them out into the community with absolutely no yeah. information. So you do need to spend longer. Agree. With them. So it's so. a bit more
0: planned care as well. So planning the patient care and follow up and reviewing and drawing them into that continuity of care that primary care can support them. Exactly, because the better you
1: set them up and the, the more information you give them at the beginning of their diagnosis, there's definitely a correlation with how they do later on down the track. You see that they're able. Able to be more engaged in terms of their medications, in terms of things like lifestyle factors. So there is those things to take into account. Yeah, it promotes patient autonomy. Obviously we've seen a few changes in the last few years in terms of primary care as well. We've noticed that with COVID there's been a a big switch over. It was probably inevitably gonna happen, but in terms of things like the use of telehealth and the use of video consulting, which is a part of primary care that we've had to get quite used to very quickly. Patients can now have appointments via the telephone. There was a bit of a push to stop this initially, I know that, just because essentially you're taking out the whole physical examination of the patient. But there's definitely a lot you can do over the phone. You can get a good history, good triage of the patient, things like mental health. I mean, even though you're not getting the physical cues from the patient, there is a lot in terms of follow-up that you can do over and the phone. And I think
0: it's important to be able to cater to the patient's needs. If they need a telehealth appointment, say, you and I, Laura, we've got children. Our children just can't go anywhere. They're sick in a world of COVID. We would have had to swab them myself. Otherwise, I could just stay home and have a phone consult. You know, We do have to provide what's best for the patient. And sometimes it's well, physical examination will need to be done. And, and, you know, that's part of those discussions with the patient. But we can do exactly. a lot more over telehealth. And you and I are most yeah. comfortable with it because we were NP interns coming in before COVID. So we were very well versed with telehealth. But some of our other colleagues won't be and they haven't always been. And so this transition might be more difficult for them. Exactly. So looking at a lot of rashes over video consult yeah, yeah. was a big one. Can you sent through
1: a photo? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I've looked at the photos of consoles oh, yeah. a lot which is something I've never thought I would have to and do before brushes, so you can
0: see really well of a photo and then other times you're like oh I just really do need to see this in person it is a real challenge yeah. sometimes if I get it over a, a photo I just feel like it's a win I'm like yes I did it and obviously
1: realistically you can't see everything over photos sometimes that's just not going to yeah, work but so we do yeah.
0: love photos regardless I always like to see Definitely. a photo if someone's they describe something can they show me what it looked like i Um, Just the more information I have, the very well-informed, I feel, as a clinician. Alrighty, Laura. So that probably takes us to the end of the episode now. So to sum up, primary care nurse practitioner, it's quite a diverse role, hey?
1: Most definitely. It's being with the patient through, as you said, their lifespan. It's going through the difficult things. It's going through the exciting times. And it's partnering with the patient to make sure that their health is, is really looked after during that time. We looked at different models of care in terms of things like the business model, ACC, POAC, those different types of things, and a little bit about how our day looks in primary care.
0: So, Laura, what can we expect next week?
1: So next week will be a good one. We're going to be talking about the NP and the wider care network within primary care. So looking at physiotherapists, looking at pharmacists, all those resources that we can um, access
0: outside of the primary care clinic. Awesome. Sounds like a great episode if I'm not biased myself. <laughs> <laughs> for now, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Kakite. Bye.